0: Hi there, Mosaic, and everybody online. Um, we'd love for you to stand up with us today and let's worship. You <laughs> honor.
1: this evening you are welcome
2: to be seated well good evening good to be able to welcome you Um, my name is Doug and it's good to be with you that have decided to hang around for the holiday weekend Uh, we're glad you're here if this is your very first time with us, let me just say a special welcome and say, just relax, you're in a safe place. It's good, you just sit, you stand, you do whatever you want to do, just to enjoy being in the in the presence of Christ as we worship Him tonight. Hey, we're starting to slide, as you've noticed, back into a little bit of things that are just a little bit more normal, a little bit like what we remember a long, long time ago we were able to do those things. So grateful, so grateful. Um One of those things is we kicked up our kids' ministry, and uh, as more and more folks have been coming back, uh, we, we have more and more kids in our kids' ministry, and we need more people to help with those children. So as you have been thinking about, Lord, as I get back into this, what can I do? Would you pray about that? And then while you're praying, would you go and find one of our children's directors and tell them, hey, how can I help? Okay, Uh, let me just encourage you to please do that. Because just just for an example, we've got one area that uh, we normally have about five classrooms open. And we've only been able to open two primarily uh, because we don't have the the leaders for those that we need yet. And so if if you're feeling more comfortable about getting involved in doing those things, we would love to invite you to do that. Another thing that feels kind of normal is we're getting back to our idea of of just kind of getting back connected in community. So let me ask you a question. If you could be a part of making disciples, being a disciple and making disciples any way that you wanted to, what would that look like in your mind as you think about if I could be a part of making disciples and being a disciple of Jesus, what would that look like for me? And I want to say this, in every picture, One thing should be true. It involves other people. You need to be connected. We need to be connected to other people in order to be a follower of Jesus and to help others become and grow as a follower of Jesus. We do that primarily through what we call our community ministry. It's just small groups of people who gather, uh, and they don't all look alike, and they don't all do exactly the same things, but the, the core things, they're connected to one another. They are devoted to the word of God. They believe in doing life with and for one another. So they walk with each other through things that are in life. And they have a vision of looking out and saying, how can we be a blessing to other people who need to know and love the Jesus we know and love? That's the common thing about our community. And so as we get kind of slide back into that normal rhythm of things, let me encourage you, if you are not a part of something like that, would you prayerfully consider, God, how can I be a part of that? And part of that may be you making it happen. And you make it happen by joining what we call our community leadership. But again, it doesn't all look the same, and you can learn more about that. But we've got some things coming up this summer, some opportunities for you to jump in and get, learn more and get equipped in how to be a leader in our community ministry. So we've got some uh, dates coming up. You can now start signing up. Uh, their online, the online sign-up is set up. So if you want to join in, we're going to do basically three different meetings. We're going to do two in June uh, that are the same, two in July that are the same, and two in August that are the same. So pick one in each month, sign up and join us. I'll even feed you, okay? You can't beat that deal. Come on, I'll give you a free meal and you come and learn about community, okay? So let me just invite you to do that uh, and, and to join us, so, so be, uh, be thinking about that. Hey, one more thing while we're sliding back into doing things that are normal. Would you stand with me, please? If you haven't noticed, um, it's been a long, long time since during a worship service you saw an offering plate come by. So I just wanted to warn you. <laughs> we, we've we been accused of doing the ninja offering anyway. I mean, you the way we used to do it. You'd be singing and all of a sudden there's an offering plate in front of you. You had no idea where it came from. But I wanted to warn you, we're going to start passing the plates again. So I just wanted you to be aware of that and and, uh, we'll do that. So, all right, let's worship together.
1: Family, we would love to hear your voices tonight as we sing this truth over one another about our King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus. So however you need to posture yourself in your hands where Body, whatever allows you to come into this place and, and join your brothers and sisters in worshiping our triune God of love. Let's do it.
0: In the darkness we were waiting Without hope, without light Till from heaven you came running There was mercy in your eyes To fulfill the law and prophecy
1: It out, saints, so throw that rug. If all that rugged cross, my salvation. Six. place, we ask that you would remind us of how you see us in this moment, as your beloved. Jesus, would you, in this time, help us not only to learn from you, but to be like you. Holy Spirit, would you renew transform us into the image of the sun together in this space. We love you, Lord. Amen. Family, you are welcome to take a seat And what we wanna do here. I don't know if anyone's giving you time or space to slow down today and to collectively come in this space and to put to practice something saints have been doing for millennia, which is Electio Divina. A reading of scripture where you read it slowly. Don't rush through it. And you reflect, what is God showing me, teaching me, speaking to me in and then through his word? And then a response, something God has shown you that's just, Lord, I, I wanna give you this. And then to rest, just to be in his presence together. So don't rush it, don't hurry. But would you just take some time now Would you read now from the word?
0: and suffering and pain and distance and loneliness and isolation and eventual healing. Thank you for your promises that remain consistent and true and live within our hearts. Thank you for the sacrifices that you have made and continue to make for us and the way that we can rest upon you when we're weary and rejoice with you when we're joyful. Be with us in this room tonight and let your spirit penetrate our souls.
3: Uncle Andrew and his study vanished instantly. Then for a moment, everything became muddled. The next thing Diggory knew was that there was a soft green light coming down on him from above and darkness below. He didn't seem to be standing on anything or sitting or lying. Nothing appeared to be touching him. I believe I'm in water or underwater. This "'Frightened him for a second, "'but almost at once he could feel "'that he was rushing upwards. "'Then his head suddenly came out into the air "'and he found himself scrambling ashore "'out onto smooth, grassy ground "'at the edge of a pool. "'As he rose to his feet, "'he noticed that he was neither dripping "'nor panting for breath "'as anyone would expect after being underwater. "'His clothes were perfectly dry. "'He was standing by the edge of a small pool.' not more than 10 feet from side to side, in a wood. The trees grew close together and were so leafy that he could get no glimpse of the sky. All the light was green light that came through the leaves. But there must have been a very strong sun overhead, for this green daylight was bright and warm. It was the quietest wood you could possibly imagine. There were no birds, no insects. No animals and no wind. You could almost feel the trees growing. The pool he had just got out of was not the only pool. There were dozens of others. A pool every few yards as far as his eyes could reach. You could almost feel the trees drinking the water up with their roots. This wood was very much alive. When he tried to describe it afterwards, Diggory always said it was a rich place, as rich as plum cake. The strangest thing was that Almost before he had looked about him, Diggory had half forgotten how he had come there. At any rate, he was certainly not thinking about Polly or Uncle Andrew or even his mother. He was not in the least frightened or excited or curious. If anyone had asked him, where did you come from? He would probably have said, I've always been here. That was what it felt like, as if one had always been in that place and never been bored, although nothing had ever happened. As he said long afterwards, it's not the sort of place where things happen. The trees go on growing, that's all. After Diggory had looked at the wood for a long time, he noticed that there was a girl lying on her back at the foot of a tree a few yards away. Her eyes were nearly shut, but not quite, as if she were just between sleeping and waking. So he looked at her for a long time and said nothing. And at last, she opened her eyes and looked at him for a long time, and she also said nothing. Then she spoke in a dreamy, contented sort of voice. I think I've seen you before, she said. I rather think so, said Diggory. Have you been here long? Oh, always, said the girl. At least, I don't know, a very long time. So have I, said Diggory. No, you haven't, said she, "'I've just seen you come up out of that pool.' "'Yes, I suppose I did,' said Diggory with a puzzled air. "'I'd forgotten.' "'Then, for quite a long time, neither said any more. "'Look here,' said the girl presently. "'I wonder, did we ever really meet before? "'I had a sort of idea, a sort of picture in my head "'of a boy and a girl like us living somewhere quite different "'and doing all sorts of things. "'Perhaps it was only a dream.' I've had the same dream, I think, said Diggory, about a boy and a girl living next door and something about crawling among rafters. I remember the girl had a dirty face. Aren't you getting it mixed? In my dream, it was the boy who had the dirty face. I can't remember the boy's face, said Diggory, and then added, hello, what's that? Why, it's a guinea pig, said the girl, and it was a fat guinea pig nosing about in the grass. But round the middle of the guinea pig there ran a tape and tied to it by the tape was a bright yellow ring Look, look, cried Diggory, the ring, and look, you've got one on your finger, and so have I. The girl now sat up, really interested at last. They stared very hard at one another, trying to remember, and then at exactly the same moment, she shouted out, Mr. Ketterly, and he shouted, Uncle Andrew, and then they knew who they were and began to remember the whole story. After a few minutes hard talking, they had got it straight. Diggory explained how beastly Uncle Andrew had been. What do we do now, said Polly. Take the guinea pig and go home. There's no hurry, said Diggory with a huge yawn. I think there is, said Polly. This place is too quiet. It's so, so dreamy. You're almost asleep. If we once give in to it, we shall just lie down and drowse forever and ever. I remember the first time I read about Lewis's Wood Between the Worlds in The Magician's Nephew. And I felt, I don't know if you felt it, but I felt a sense of panic at that idea. Imagining that the kind of drowsy that can come over me whenever it's been way too long since I've slept and I'm getting somewhere just just the right kind of warm and comfortable. And I realized the danger of what would have happened if Diggory had given in to sleep. He may have been there forever, unable to wake up again. I had a similar experience uh, in my own life one time when I was, I was leading worship at a camp out at New Life Ranch and it went late, late, late into the night on a Saturday night and I had to be back here on Sunday morning to lead worship. And so I got in my car at, I don't know, about 11.30 at night, I was a college student it was late after a long day of camp and I was cruising along feeling tired and I woke up in a different lane than I started out in. And I felt the terror of what could have been in that moment. The danger of falling asleep too early. You see, we're in this book of Hebrews and it's, it's, it's a letter written from a pastor to a group of people who are in very serious danger, and they don't know it. They they don't feel a sense of urgency about the place that they are. And so he is trying to draw their attention to the seriousness of their danger. And so as we continue this, this letter tonight, we're gonna start in Hebrews chapter three as this pastor is pleading with them to wake up to the situation that they are in. Because the danger is, they're growing bored with Jesus. In fact, following Jesus has gotten really, really hard. And there are some easier, less dangerous, less difficult ways they could live out there. And they're growing tempted to throw in the towel on their faith. And the writer to this letter wants them to understand how dangerous their current situation is. Now, one of the things I love about Hebrews is it reads just like a sermon. What this author is gonna do is he's going through and he's pulling sections out of the Old Testament scriptures, the scriptures they would have known, and he's gonna quote it, and then he's going to explain what it means, and then he's gonna apply it to their lives. And so that's exactly what he's gonna do in the section of scripture we're looking at tonight. So we're gonna start in Hebrews chapter three, verse seven. And what's going to happen here is the author is going to quote from Psalm 95 and he's going to preach a little mini sermon on Psalm 95, trying to draw their attention to what their situation is. So here's what he says. He, he writes, so as the Holy Spirit says, side note, whenever this author quotes the scripture, he refers to it as the Holy Spirit speaking. That gives you a sense of what this author thought the scriptures were. This is the word of God speaking to people. they shall never enter my rest. So this is the psalm that the author quotes from, and that psalm is referring to an event that happened in the generation that came out of Egypt in the Exodus. Okay, so let, let me remind you a little bit about the story. Um, just get your Prince of Egypt glasses back on if you remember that movie. And what's happened is you had the family of Abraham, the family of Jacob of Israel's enslaved in Egypt, And God, through miraculous wonders, brings them out. And at first, I mean, it's pretty easy for the Israelites to follow God. Like, do you remember what they had to do to conquer Pharaoh? Nothing. Like, one night they went to bed slaves. The next morning they wake up and people are throwing gold and jewels at them saying, please get out of here and go live your life. And like, oh, okay. And then... They get to a sea and they don't know how to cross it and God goes, let me just put the sea out of the way for you. And then they show up in the desert and they go, we're thirsty. And God goes, here, let me just make water spring up for you. And they're hungry and God goes, here, let me just have bread fall out of the sky for you. Like God is providing everything they need. And then they get to the place where they are gonna have to enter the land that God has for them and they're gonna have to go fight for it. And that is where they draw the line and say, nope. That's too hard, we can't do it. And so God says, fine, you won't go into the land your children will. Because they refused to trust him and complete the journey. They were in their own wood between the worlds. They were in an in-between place between Egypt and the land that God had for them. And they got stuck And so now the psalmist, the person who wrote Psalm 95, is looking at the people in his own day saying, don't be like them. Don't be like that generation that gave up on God before God finished taking them where they were going. And so the preacher, the the writer to the Hebrews, he's gonna explain what this passage meant. Look in chapter three, verse 12. He says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called a day, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We've come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not, those who were, if, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Okay, so the author to the Hebrews has found an example that he thinks is perfect for this congregation. Because... You're speaking to some people who generally have associated with God, have showed faith in him, but they're still in process in their spiritual journey. And there's still a destination of what God has for them. And so he thinks this example is really comparable. And then in chapter four, verse one, he's really gonna show them how this passage in Psalm 95 applies to their specific situation. So he says this in in 4.1, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands. Pause. He's gonna explain later what he means by that. What does it mean that the promise of entering the rest still stands? So he's gonna come back to that. He's throwing the idea out there and he's gonna come back and tell us what do you mean by the promise of entering God's rest still stands? He says, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Okay, so we gotta talk about this phrase, let us be careful. That's a really gentle translation of what the Greek says there. What the Greek says is, let us be scared. It says, let us be scared so that none of us are found to have fallen short. The phrase found, it probably has kind of a legal connotation, like to be found guilty, Okay, so he's saying, let us all be scared that none of us be found to have fallen short of what God has for us. Now, for some of us, this goes against everything we're ever told like, to, to, to do in church. Like we're scared of kind of, we don't wanna have hellfire or brimstone, whatever that is, preaching. We don't wanna have people preaching fear over us. So am I coming here and telling you to be afraid? Yes, because God is. The scriptures are telling us to be afraid. So how do you reconcile this with other passages that say there's no fear? I remember when I was in college listening to a pastor named Matt Chandler preach through Hebrews. And when he got to this section, he gave me an illustration that was so helpful and it has been a guide to me ever since. He said there's a good kind of fear and a bad kind of fear. And he points to parenting. And he said every parent teaches their child to fear, don't we? I, from as far back as my child could walk, I wanted to instill terror in her of roads and parking lots, right? Like, parents, do you remember the first, the first almost disaster moment? I remember when my child was little in the parking lot at Kidoba right over here, getting her out of the car, getting ready to go hang out with some students, And I set her down, looked back in the car, and she darted. And the car was coming this way and they slammed on their brakes. And I I felt the terror that she didn't feel. And I wanted to scare her. I wanted her, I knew that my responsibility as dad was to teach her to be afraid of that moment. I want my child, every time she feels the impulse to run out into the street, to have a panic seize her that makes her stop and look both ways. Is that good parenting? You should say yes right now, right? There are certain things that you should be afraid of and fear is your ally when you come in contact with dangerous things and it causes you to stop, right? That's the good kind of fear. When you are approaching something deadly or dangerous and that fear brings attention to the danger, but there's a bad kind of fear, okay? I would have gone overboard as a dad if my sweet little daughter is laying in bed at night shaking and crying because the road's gonna get her, right? There's, it becomes a bad kind of fear when the fear grips you even when the danger is not near. That's when fear ceases to be a good thing. That's when fear becomes enslaving and dangerous. Now, a message like this used to always wreck me my entire life because I am an expert at the bad kind of fear. I think I've said in here before that I have the spiritual gift of anxiety and I am awesome at running to anxiety. I went through a phase as a junior high kid where I asked the Lord to save me and forgive me every night for like two months because I was terrified that I had gotten it wrong. Now, what the author of the Hebrews is doing here is he is speaking to people who are running out into the road, saying, you should be scared right now. You are seriously contemplating stopping following the Lord. Fear should grip you. Fear should grab you. I almost want to like grab a certain group of people in the room and ask them just to go ahead and walk out the exit door right now. Because there's a certain population that I almost don't want to hear this message tonight. Because there's a group of people who are actually persistently following the Lord, but struggle with anxiety. And everything tonight has a danger of just throwing them into a tailspin of bad kind of fear. So, can I just go ahead and give it an encouragement before we go forward any further? Know the heart of our God. The heart of our God is someone who is looking for an excuse to forgive people. He is looking for an opportunity to show mercy, He is searching for an opportunity to show grace and to save. The reason that God would ever tell anyone to fear is the same reason that a dad tells a kid to be afraid of running out in the road. He wants to save and protect from dangerous things. So if you find yourself tonight in that place where immediately you feel the anxiety and the fear welling up within you, Consider that maybe that anxiety is just anxiety. Check and go, am I the person who's choosing to walk away from the Lord right now? (laughs) And if that's not where you are, just hand that to the Lord in prayer. I would love to spend an entire night talking about what to do with anxiety. We're not gonna do that right now because we need to get back to Hebrews, but I really feel like we need to address that issue. So what the author is saying, he's talking to a congregation that is considering walking away and he's saying, you should be scared. You should be scared of the implications of that. And here's why. He goes on to unpack it more. He says, four, if we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. He says, they heard the message, they were around the people of God and all the good stuff, and they didn't believe. They didn't trust the Lord. Hearing the message without trusting it is of no value. Attending church your whole life without trusting the Lord is of no value. Just being in the room, we're gonna see actually being in the room and hearing the good news without trusting it could actually be the most dangerous thing. We're gonna talk about why in a minute. He says, now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said, so I declare on my oath, they shall never enter my rest. What's the mark of those who enter in whatever this rest is that God has for us? Faith. It's not doing everything right. It's not being the perfect ideal follower. It's just trusting the Lord. It's just trusting him. That's the mark. And now he's gonna unpack what is he even talking about with this rest? In the end of verse four, he says, in the verse three, he says, and yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. What is he talking about? In verse four, he says, for somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day. I love it that this author, I don't know if this is just a little bit of humility he's putting on here. Like he's quoting from scripture all over the place. And he says, somewhere God talked about like seven days of creation. Yeah, I think he knew where it was. Somewhere he spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. So he's tying the two ideas together. He wants you to see the rest from Genesis 2 and this rest that he's talking about here. In verse 6, he says, therefore, since it remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day calling it today. So, He's tying together this Sabbath rest at the beginning and this rest that he says is for the people of God. Now, what connection is he making here? He wants to call us back to Genesis 2. And there's a little observation in Genesis 2 that had escaped me for years that the author of the Hebrews is trying to draw attention to here. Do y'all remember the, the little seven days of creation thing and how that works? And at the end, there's this little refrain at the end of each day. You remember how it goes? It says there was morning and evening on the first day. On the second day, there was morning and evening. It goes back and forth through this. Do you know what the seventh day lacks? There is no reference to morning and evening on the seventh day. As far as the narrative goes, the seventh day never ends. Now, you know what the Hebrew rabbis concluded as a result of that? God is always resting as king over the world. God reigns supreme and rests from his works. And so there's this theme of the rest of God, the the divine Sabbath of God that rules over the heavens, that goes throughout everything in the Old Testament. God is reigning and resting over creation. And he then establishes a pattern for people every seventh day to pause and to rest. Why does he establish that pattern? It is to remind them of the God who is resting over the universe. This little rest that we experience once a week is supposed to be a picture of the bigger rest that God is always experiencing. And it's to create a kind of hunger in us to experience that rest with God. And so he's now cued in their minds this image of God's rest, and he he begins to explain why Psalm 95 tells us that it still applies to us. He says, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day calling it today. Today. This he did when a long time ago he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Now, this is starting to get really convoluted, but let me try to show you the timeline of what the author's saying here. Back in Genesis, God creates the seventh day and he begins resting forever. After the Exodus, he says, come into the promised land and you'll enter my rest. And then, several hundred years later, David writes a psalm saying, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts or you'll miss out on the rest. The author's conclusion is that second generation ended up going into the promised land. They got there. That's what happens in the book of Joshua. That's what we just finished studying. So, if they got the land that God said that that generation wasn't going to get back in numbers, what is David talking about hundreds of years later while he is sitting in Jerusalem in the promised land encouraging people not to miss out on the rest? Do you see the argument? He's saying David must have something bigger in mind because David's in the land. So what rest is David concerned about? In verse eight, he says, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Here's the conclusion. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. See, what the author to the Hebrews is saying is all of these rhythms of rest that are played out throughout the whole story of Scripture are pointing us to some bigger reality to come. The whole Old Testament calendar was built around the idea of a Sabbath, right? So you had had a Sabbath day once a week built on the idea of the seven-day creation. Then you have these Sabbath festivals and holiday, holidays where you're supposed to come and rest. And then you'd have a whole Sabbath year every seventh year where you'd take a break from work. And then every 50 years, you'd have a double Sabbath year and you'd return all the debts. You'd wipe every debt clean. You'd restore everybody to their original land of ancestry. There is a theology of Sabbath rest that is built throughout the entire Jewish way of living that says, because God rules, there is a restoration coming to the world. And David saw that that day was coming. And he wrote us a Psalm saying, don't turn away from God or you're gonna miss out on that day. That great rest that's coming. And now the author of the Hebrews applies that same idea to his congregation, and he concludes his little mini-sermon with this idea in verse 12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attributes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him, to whom we must give an account. The word of God will get inside of you. The word of God always accomplishes something. That is both a great comfort and a great warning. You cannot hear the word of God and walk away unchanged. So you are either being shaped by it or you are pushing back against it. There is no neutral place when it comes to God. I remember having a conversation with a young college student who I had known for several years. And he was, he was in the process of deconstructing his faith and walking away from it. And as I was processing I this, hey, where are you with the Lord? He said, I would say I'm kind of neutral right now. I'm kind of in an agnostic. I'm not rebelling against the Lord. I'm not walking away from him, but I'm not following. him. And I said, I'm gonna go ahead and call your bluff. You're either lying to me or you're lying to yourself. You cannot be neutral to the Lord. Let's imagine this. Let's imagine I said, hey, I'm kind of neutral with regard to my family obligations right now. I'm not going home tonight. I'm not going to talk to my wife or daughter for a few months. I'm not rejecting them. I'm just not pursuing them either. No, when you have an obligation to a person, there's no such thing as neutral. Neutral you are either loving them and meeting that obligation or you are neglecting and rejecting. And the author to the Hebrews is putting this warning out to people and saying, you need to understand the danger of setting back and falling asleep on your commitment to the Lord. Now for some people, There is intense persecution, pain, and suffering that could lead them to that risk. But I think over the last year and a half, a very different kind of danger has come our way. I noticed something happened to me over the course of the pandemic. I got really used to wearing sweatpants seven days a week. I didn't just gain the COVID-19, I gained the COVID-30, okay? Like, I did no exercise, I sat around and I let a kind of laziness settle over me in everything I did for a year and a half. And then suddenly, life started coming back and everything in me screamed against it. I screamed against putting real pants on and I screamed against coming back to church because, and by the way, the ability to stay at home and watch church on video is a blessing created out of need. But there was an uncomfortable safety that came from watching church on my couch and not having anybody look me in the eyes and ask how I'm doing in my faith. Suddenly, My rhythms of prayer, of pursuing the Lord, of accountability with other people, of serving, started to break down. And I think our danger might be that over the last year and a half, it got really easy not to pursue the Lord. And I think we should be scared of that as a church, as a congregation together, scared of what that could mean for our church, for our families, what would it look like to just settle in in the grass in the wood between the worlds and take a nap? The positive side to it is God offers us something better. God offers us something better than sweatpants on the couch. He offers us his kingdom come He offers us the restoration of the world. So wake up. I say this to myself, Nick, wake up. There is a Sabbath rest for the people of God that will fill everything our heart longs for. Diggory said to Polly, and she said, do you you think we ought to go home? He said, there's no real urgency, is there? And she said, oh, I think there is. Let's worship our Father now. In every rhythm of our life, let's return. God, that is our prayer. Lord, would you give us a sense of urgency? Lord, we don't want the bad kind of fear. We don't want the kind of fear that leaves us shaking when we're safely in your arms. That's not the kind of God you are. But Lord, I pray that you would give us an appropriate sense of urgency when we consider drifting off. Lord, you're the only thing that satisfies. So help us find our rest in you.
1: you ever before.
3: Prayer. Open our eyes, Lord, to see you. And that's a prayer to be prayed every single day. So, Mosaic, we want to invite us as a church back into the rhythms of doing this. That's going to happen a few different ways. That's going to happen by faithfully gathering together on Saturday nights to to weekly be reminded of the goodness of God, to find our satisfaction in Him. That's going to happen in community. So we invite you, jump back in. It's time for groups. If your group has lost its rhythm, let's start back up. If you've drifted away from a group, let us connect with you. We'd love to meet you in the, in the booth out in the foyer and help you get connected. And I also want to point you to a resource. It's a study that, that we did at Mosaic, I think a year and a half ago now, maybe two years ago, um, on spiritual rhythms. What are the rhythms that we can daily practice to help us fix our eyes on Jesus and keep pursuing him? And so there's a PDF online of this study that you can walk through. You can get it at the QR code there or find it on our website. We just wanna invite everyone to jump back in and let that be a resource. God is so good. And like a loving parent, he doesn't wanna see us wander into danger. He wants to invite us back to him. i be blessed and have a wonderful week. We'll see you next Saturday.